0: Welcome to the first edition of Between Two Great Lakes, a podcast by Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper. I'm your host, Adam Zuremski. Now, New York is a Great Lakes state, and we want to highlight and talk about all things related to that idea. From important advocacy efforts, restoration projects, and fun things to do throughout the Blue Way, which are spots that give people access to the water. So thank you for listening. Um, on today's show, we have a variety of things to go over. Uh, One, if you're not already familiar with this acronym, uh, you'll be hearing about it a lot more and we'll educate you and let you know what you need to do to watch out, but PFAS is the first thing we'll be highlighting. Uh, After that, we'll discuss some exciting news. Our Spring Sweep is coming up. If you haven't registered already, you should go do it, but I'll have someone here to talk about the importance of the Spring Sweep, what it does for the community, and why we need you. So Let's get right into it. First up, I have Elizabeth Cute here, she is our Senior Manager for Community Engagement and our go-to source for anything related to PFAS and these chemicals. Hi Elizabeth, how are you?
1: I'm good Adam, how are you?
0: Doing very well. So like I said, we're looking into this and you've been studying this for a while, the PFAS.
1: Yeah, I've been learning a lot about PFAS the last few years while working at Waterkeeper, um starting really following some of the drinking water regulations in New York state but it's expanded since then what i've been learning and keeping my attention on as things are really moving rapidly this last year
0: and so first thing the pfas is pfas or pfos but it's an acronym and i'm hoping you could tell us what that acronym stands for
1: pfas the letters PFAS, stands for per- and polyfloral alkyl substances. Most people pronounce it PFOS. PFOS is just one type of PFOS. Most people will say PFOS, spelling it out, or some people say PFOS, but that is just one type of PFAS, it's a a really large, diverse class of man-made chemicals of over 9,000 compounds. But PFAS, the PFAS acronym, is that umbrella name or term.
0: What are they? What are PFAS?
1: So they're man-made chemicals. They are often referred to as forever chemicals, as they don't naturally break down in the environment. They have very strong bonds from a chemical standpoint. They came into popularity in you know nineteen fifties or sixties, I believe.
0: And what were they used for?
1: They were used for industrial and consumer product purposes. The application of PFAS made products waterproof, you know, stain-proof, heat-resistant. So those properties were pretty advantageous for things like firefighting foam or rainproof clothing. Nonstick cookware was a big one, the Teflon pans. Um, and that's where a lot of you know, the average person would be exposed to PFOS. Some of those other uses were job place oriented. So if you were a firefighter, you might have PFAS exposure from using the foam, but you know, your average person wouldn't be exposed to firefighting foam very often. So some of those consumer products is where people started to get exposed. And then over time, some health issues started to pop up in areas where either these PFAS were being created. So there was some environmental exposure from pollution or leaks or, you know, they're they're being exposed on a daily basis by some of the different products they use, and PFAS are even found in cosmetics. So things that you know people are applying to their skin, to their face, um, you know, chapsticks and things. So right onto your your lips and your mouth. So there's a lot of vectors for exposure.
0: So some communities started having. Issues and were curious about their water sources. Uh, any within New York that you can recall?
1: One example was in New York itself—a drinking water crisis in hoosick Falls. And this was um, one of the first stories I read about um, when I was learning about PFAS. And this was a community that had a you know industrial facility that was making PFAS and using PFAS, um, specifically PFOA. And in 2015, new members of the community were bringing forth different health concerns that they were noticing up to you know professionals, um, you know, town councils, eventually up to the EPA. And you know, they were experiencing different cancers and rashes and they wanted to know what was going on. And some of those folks even tested their own water to try to figure out what was going on. And what was alarming to me reading about this community experiencing these issues was, you know, it's 2015 and there's still a big lack of regulation related to these very harmful chemicals. So it really caught my interest and attention and I've really enjoyed learning more about it and hoping to help others learn about it so that we can continue to, you know, make smarter choices and control these substances to protect our health.
0: Now Western New York too has had some issues. Um thinking in the Niagara Falls region, air reserve station, I believe.
1: Yeah, so once we um, as a waterkeeper, we started to get more involved in learning about PFOS locally. You know, we we knew that in New York State was going to be regulating um, two types of PFAS in drinking water, PFOA and PFOS. Um, But we wanted to know in what other waterways in the surface waters were PFAS present. And through a project with Waterkeeper Alliance, we joined over a hundred different keepers and tested some different um, streams and rivers throughout the country. And we tested a handful in Western New York and had some elevated levels. And one in particular, like you mentioned was in Niagara County along Cayuga Creek.
0: And how was this site in particular chosen?
1: We picked the sampling site because we knew of, you know, past known groundwater contamination due to that firefighting foam. Like I mentioned before, there's an airport and an airbase. Um, up in Niagara Falls and Cayuga Creek right runs right under that, that airport and that air base. So it had some known groundwater contamination due to the use of that um, PFOS type of firefighting foam. And we were curious to test upstream and downstream of that location just to see what were the surface water levels.
0: What did those results show?
1: Um, downstream saw some elevated PFAS levels and um, which was very you know kind of alarming and now we're starting to sample some more sites definitely bringing those results up to the you know the DEC and, and other folks so that they know what's happening there's other data being collected regionally so you know we're trying to do our due diligence and learn about what's happening so that we can inform the public and other folks that might be interested to learn, you know, what's happening in our water. Are our waterways safe? What is in our water?
0: Sure. I I guess for people wondering, should people be scared? And I guess if exposed to these, what can potentially happen? What have some of the studies shown as far as health effects?
1: I would definitely be concerned. Um, The health issues related to PFAS are pretty serious, but those types of health issues occur due to, you know, repeated exposure or elevated exposure. I'd be most concerned about the drinking water that people are consuming or types of exposure that may be occurred through your profession. And those risks should be, you know, provided to you by your employer, but knowing more about your drinking water is a really great first step to, to learn and to protect yourself
0: and how would people know more about their drinking water and what's in it i'm just wondering is there some sort of documentation out there that they can access
1: so you can all find drinking water reports from your water supplier if you're on public water if you have a private well you'd have to do your own testing to know what type of pfos could be in your drinking water but Public water suppliers in New York state have to test for PFOA and PFOS currently. And if you Google city of Buffalo drinking water report or Erie County drinking water report, or wherever you live, you can find your most recent drinking water report online. It's a really great resource. Learn about where your water comes from, what types of things they are testing for. It's all regulated. And then you can see the levels of those two types of PFAS. And currently, New York State, the maximum level that those two types of PFAS can reach without action occurring, like a cleanup action, is 10 parts per trillion.
0: What would happen if it was higher than that total?
1: If it was over that, there'd be action taken. But currently, there are no drinking water reports in our area that are elevated above that maximum contaminant level of 10 parts per trillion. That is reassuring. And just last week, the EPA um, released their proposed national primary drinking water regulation, which addresses the whole country. And each state has to match those levels they're proposing. So New York will have to drop those uh, maximum contaminant levels down to four parts per trillion. That will protect our drinking water even more and that national regulation includes some additional types of PFAS so that's you know really great steps in the right direction and New York State isn't you know waiting for those national levels they've been one of the states really kind of paving the path forward one of the first states to regulate for two types of PFAS and we're waiting on some final regulations for 23 additional PFAS in our drinking water, so you know that is a really great first step to protect our health.
0: Is there anyone um, that people can contact if they have these concerns or if they want to make their voices heard, like state regulators, uh, federal or local officials?
1: You know, folks can contact their their local representatives and let them know you know what issues matter to them and what they'd like to see. Let them hear from you. Give them an email or give them a call and let them know that you're concerned about PFAS, um, make your voice heard.
0: And you've been updating our website too with uh, this information, so if people wanna go there, they can go to bnwaterkeeper.org and search for PFAS. You've been doing that right along over the years, so that seems like a pretty good resource if people wanna start there and then go, go beyond.
1: Yeah, exactly, we're trying to make this really complex very, you know, scientific information that can get confusing, trying to distill it down to a more, you know, digestible type of resource so folks can feel informed, feel like they have a step that they can take to, you know, either protect themselves or or get involved in some of the solutions. And, you know, it's really important that we all come together on this. Um, There's a real need to control and remediate this type of pollution. And the the effort that it will take to, you know, eliminate the production and use of these chemicals is going to be, you know, complex, expensive and government cannot, you know, solve it alone. We really need to push for more producer responsibility and accountability and, you know, hearing the voice and the concerns of the public and having you know, a strong group of advocates is a really great way to, to take action and make change. And we've seen this in New York, we've seen it in Western New York. And um, I think this is a really great time for everybody to stand up and let folks know what matters to them and what we wanna see change. Um, to protect our health of, you know, our current and future generations and protect our waterways. So um, definitely keep your eyes and ears open for pfos related pollution or regulations. Um, it's not going to go away anytime soon, so definitely something to get a little familiar with. Thank you, Liz. Yeah, thanks, Adam. It was great talking with you.
0: That was Elizabeth Cute, our Senior Manager for Community Engagement. Next up, we'll be talking with Emily Diet about the Spring Suite. That's coming up next. Now, our waterways are great to explore. It's an awesome resource. Part of Waterkeeper's mission is to get people to be able to access the waterways. But it's no fun of going there and the land is covered in trash. And so over its 30 plus year history, Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper has continued to work on cleaning the waterways and one important function is the annual spring sweep. To talk more about this, I have Emily Diet, Program Manager for Community Engagement. She's been getting ready for this Earth Day event, which is the largest single day cleanup in western New York. Emily, how is planning going?
2: Going awesome, I'm really excited. Tomorrow is actually, uh, I'll be doing a presentation um, focused on data collection called Data Stories and Advocacy. So that'll really just be getting volunteers excited about how they can increase their impact with data collection at the sweep. And just a little bit about uh, the Clean Swell app that we'll be using at the Spring Sweep and then also we've started the exciting supply bin packing process. We'll be uh, distributing supplies at our site captain trainings, which will be starting the first week of April, um, which I'm happy to say are returning in person for the first time since 2019. Really looking forward to for, for those things in the next couple of weeks. And of course our registration is open and filling up fast. So that's always a good thing
0: It is. We've had a lot of response with the registration already. And I guess for the people who maybe aren't familiar with it, would you mind explaining what is the Spring Sweep?
2: It's Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper's largest annual cleanup event of the year, um, where volunteers register for the Spring Sweep and they get to select from um, over 35 different sites throughout the city of Buffalo and the greater Niagara region. And they'll be working together with volunteer groups to remove trash from our watershed and protecting our local drinking water. Something that started really when Waterkeeper, uh, when it was first an organization um, focusing on the Buffalo River. And so it's really exciting to see 30 years later, we're still doing a cleanup effort and now one that engages thousands of volunteers throughout Western New York.
0: Thousand volunteers, yeah, that's about every year. It seems like the Waterkeepers manages to get that many people, right?
2: Yes, that's correct. So, on average, anywhere from fifteen hundred to two thousand volunteers participate in the annual spring sweep. So, it's definitely very impressive. And there's also so many other organizations that do clean up. So, even more volunteers on Earth Day are cleaning up as well. But yes, we have a Definitely a very dedicated volunteer base that participates with us for this event.
0: And these volunteers will be going out to, you said, 35 sites? And I guess, where are they all located?
2: So we're actually, for our public registration, we're up to 37 sites and growing. So they are located, uh, I would say a little less than half of them are located within the City of Buffalo boundaries. Um, And then the others are peppered throughout the Niagara River watershed. So as far north as Niagara Falls, um, we'll have a site at Gill Creek Park. And then south to that will be at Hamburg Town Beach will be the farthest south we'll be visiting. Um, and we also have a couple sites on Grand Island.
0: So this uh, for people who are signing up, they'll go to the registration page and, and they do have to pick a site, Correct.
2: Yes, when you go to our, our cleanups page, the Spring Sweep registration option is right on the top. You can also, if you scroll down, you can visit, there's a Google map there. So you can actually see um, very specifically where the sites are located. And then once you click into the registration, you'll see there's a list there. Um, it'll note what what city or town the site is located in first. So it might say Cheektowaga and then Cheektowaga Town Park or uh, Buffalo, Skajack, Creek, Creek, you'll see them all listed there. You can you select your site that way, and then it'll ask for you for um, your contact information so that we can make sure we can reach out to you ahead of the sweep with some of those additional details that you'll need uh, for the day of.
0: I want to note in a moment how much the Spring Sweep often collects as far as trash, but you got me thinking the I mean, each of these sites is kind of managed by a volunteer, correct?
2: That's right. That's right. Yes. We have um, an incredible group of dedicated volunteers that are site captains. These are trained volunteers. Many of them have been volunteers with us for a very long time. Um, And really they are, you know, the leaders of this event. Without our site captains, we would not be able to lead a successful spring sweep. And so just really grateful for those that Um, take that extra step for the spring sweep. They join us at a training. They learn all about how to safely lead volunteers and, of course, data collection. Um, And they make sure they're the ones collecting uh, everyone's information when they come in and sign in. They share our mission um, and anything kind of relevant to that. Site, they're really the, the most important part of the sweep. That is um, why it is so successful is because of those site captain volunteers. So big thank you to them.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. And, and hearing from you and others about how many people do that, I was blown away. That was really impressive to hear that. And then I was also looking at some of the stats as far as how much gets collected in one day.
2: So yeah, the amount of trash we collect is can be pretty staggering. It was 2018, was probably the largest amount I saw looking at some of our previous records. And these are estimated weights coming from the amount of trash bags that we collect. But in 2018, volunteers gathered an estimated 40,000 pounds of trash or or 20 tons of litter, which is pretty crazy.
0: You've been talking about the Clean Swell app, and that's something I believe you're hoping people will have. Um, It's an app that they can... Download, I believe, um, if you want to highlight that a little more, just so people understand what they're what to look for with that app and what how that helps us.
2: The Clean Swell app is created by the Ocean Conservancy. So in the past, we've collected specific litter data in September for the international coastal cleanup. And in the last few years, we were doing that on data cards, paper data cards and uh, the ocean conservancy has really upgraded this incredible uh, digital data collection option called clean swell and it's a super user friendly app you do have to create an account so we ask that volunteers download the app um, if they have a smartphone ahead of the sweep and create their account and really it is something that is connected to uh, the largest litter database in the world called tides or trash information database for education and solutions and that's also managed by the ocean conservancy um, but there we have any data that is collected through Plainswell is then uploaded there so that's pretty awesome because that uh, resource is used Not only for nonprofit organizations like us that protect water, um, but also for policymakers and scientists as well. So we are currently really growing the Great Lakes litter data that is stored on tides because previously, you know, a lot of the information was for the oceans, which we all know about plastic in the oceans. It's really important that we build that litter database here to show that we need more Great Lakes protection because that is our drinking water, right, for for over 40 million people. Check out our website to download the Cleanswell app.
0: Do you know what, what the most common item is found as far as this trash and litter?
2: The number one thing we collect is plastic. It, typically, it's, it's always been cigarette butts, but Just last year, looking at all of the items that were collected on through Ocean Conservancy's Clean Swell app and the volunteers who did that, um, the number one was plastic pieces. That could be anything, broken down pieces. If they couldn't identify it as a bottle or a food wrapper or a plastic cap, it was labeled a plastic piece. That was the number one thing. And then right behind that, not far at all, were cigarette butts, which are typically the number one thing we've seen collected at our cleanups.
0: with uh, Whether with the Clean Swell app or just um, anecdotes, what are some unusual items that have been found over the years with this clean sweep?
2: I would say not too many unusual things, but one that stood out that we found uh, was a bowling ball, <laughs> um, which is an unusual thing to throw along the shoreline. Um, but many folks got a chuckle out of that. Oh, uh, we definitely see a lot of larger items dumped, like furniture and metal, which I always find unusual. Since, you know, not only does the city, particularly the city of Buffalo, pick, and I'm sure my other municipalities, they pick up large items from your regular trash, so no need to go find an abandoned field to do that. <laughs> but also because metal can be scrapped for cash. Let's not forget. So, <laughs> yeah, that was just one that stood out. I guess this isn't necessarily unusual, but we always find them in abundance and it is a huge problem are the dumping of tires. Again, not unusual, but a really big problem. And so I always like to highlight, you know, that in the city of Buffalo, we do, there are drop off days for, for tires, which is great because I know some folks think that maybe, you know, even though they don't collect it in their regular trash. So keep your eye out for that as well.
0: Right. There are so many options instead of just throwing along the shoreline. I guess that's the reason there is the spring sweep. And that is tied into the Great Lakes cleanup, too. Um, And I was hoping you could explain that a little bit more, what the Great Lakes cleanup involves.
2: Sure. Yeah. So that is a Great Lakes basin-wide collaborative trash removal event that is working in tandem with folks throughout the Great Lakes Basin with the support of 19 partners who are organizing litter removal efforts along all five of our Great Lakes. So that's really exciting. It's a a collaboration that Buffalo Niagara Waterkeeper has led for the past two years, so we're excited. This is the third annual Great Lakes cleanup event and Last year, we had 7,962 volunteers um, working along the shorelines of our Great Lakes and protecting our water. So that was really awesome to see over 140,000 pounds of trash. So, you know, again, thinking about plastics being that number one item that we're p- picking up on our shorelines, it's really encouraging and hopeful to hear you know that that much was taken away from getting the possibility of getting into our waterways
0: right so we want people to sign up we need the volunteers like you said they're the biggest reason this is is a success people should go sign up pick their site anything else they should do to prepare for that day
2: yeah so we have definitely so plenty of volunteer need even though spots are filling up fast So I would say reserve your spot today. So go visit our registration page. Although we don't reserve spots for groups, as it is a first come first serve registration process, there's plenty of volunteer needs at um, almost all of our sites. Check out the page, check out the map, see what's closest to you or maybe a different site you've never been to before. Um, And then second, I would download the Clean Swell app that I talked about and get your account set up and check it out so that you're ready to go on the day of the sweep.
0: Well, I wish you luck with all this planning, Emily. You have a lot more to do, so best of luck with it.
2: Thanks so much, Adam.
0: So again, registration is open for this April 22nd event. That's Saturday, Earth Day. Go to our website, bnwaterkeeper.org cleanups and from there you can find the link to sign up. You'll have to pick your site. And where you want to go and just think it's a uh, if you've never volunteered before it's a quick two hour time frame to go out find your site clean up some garbage and so any help you can do is much appreciated in this cleanup event so go sign up and the music from today's show leading us in and taking us out comes from a local buffalo band Snowbelt. they've got a new album out called norris avenue you can find it on your streaming services Thank you very much for listening. We are going to be back next month. Be well and do good.